Well, the text is the gospel lesson, which we just read, the short lesson from Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. To this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has spoken of two kinds of righteousness, two sorts of devotion, right? And these, these twos are in opposition to one another, right? Two kinds of treasure, two different masters, two types of seekers. And he continues this this duality here with this short bit of instruction about the narrow and the wide gates. But there is something different. Here, the whole uh, key of the discourse shifts so that this is not mere additional teaching. It is that, of course, but it's not just that. It's a summons to decision. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is, a, is a, something of a sermon, right? It's a coherent bit of teaching. And so from here till the end of the sermon, Jesus starts to press us to embrace this call to discipleship and to enter into the kingdom of God. So he's coming, if you will, to the conclusion of his sermon. And he does not want us to walk away from the summons of the Sermon on the Mount unscathed because that would be a sign of something deeply troubling in us. So he makes the choice stark, that we might hear, that we might be, it's bracing, right? It's something like a slap in the face. It wakes you up, that we might count the cost, that we might embrace and follow in the way. That's the purpose of the rest, which is not a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll make three points. They're there on the outline in your bulletin. The roads, the destinies, the people. So first the roads. So Matthew 7, verse 13 begins, enter through the narrow gate. It's an imperative. Like it's a command, a call. Jesus is saying, follow me. You've heard the Sermon on the Mount. It's quite demanding, I know. It's time to choose this way. This instruction. It's time to embrace the inbreaking of my kingdom. And the, and the choice that he sets out here is absolute, right? There are only two roads. There are only two possible options. Choices, of course, by their very nature, preclude all other choices. If you choose a spouse, you forsake all other possible spouses. If you choose a meal, you forsake the other meals, right? If you choose to follow Jesus, you cut off all other religious options. And something in our natures kicks against this. Especially, I think, us moderns. Humans like multiple choices. We like to keep our options open. Right? We like to mix and match We like to try things out. We like to defer hard choices. We like trial periods, experiments, buffets. Jesus forbids that here. He calls for a decision from you and from me, and he calls for it now. Even more constricting than that is that he really doesn't leave you or I with two legitimate choices. He makes it clear. 
right? Disciples have one lawful choice. Notice again the text, the first word of the text. Enter by the narrow gate. So Jesus, he does not have dabblers. He does not have dilettantes who flit around with him. He has disciples. He has followers. Nevertheless, right, we are, we're free moral agents. And there are two roads before us. And Jesus begins to describe them. The first is described as wide and broad. Wide is the gate and broad is the road, or in some translations, easy is the way that leads to destruction. This way is easy. It's spacious. It's roomy. You don't even have to search to find it. You're born on this route. That's what the doctrine of original sin does. Puts everybody on that road at the moment of conception. Every human being is on this road. It's the default road that everybody's driving on. It's the way of alleged diversity and easy tolerance and sweet permissiveness. You can do what's natural here. You can follow your will. You can express your inner self however you like. There are no boundaries of thought or conduct required on this road. And certainly there's no musty tradition that has to be embraced. No mortification, no repentance, no need for self-denial, no taking up of the cross, no self-examination, no persecution for embracing this road. There are no nails being driven into your hands on this road. There's no swimming against the stream required on this road. Dead things go with the flow. Only vigorous living things can swim against the stream or against the current, and that's not required on this road. Nothing needs to be left behind. And, and, there are lots of church-going people on this road. The road has a lot of attractive things. I mean, you can hate your enemies on this road. You don't have to love them. You certainly don't have to pray for them. And you certainly don't have to bless them. Cursing them is just fine on this road. You can sue them on this road rather than work toward reconciliation. You can be judgmental and arrogant rather than poor in spirit. Nobody on the road is going to fuss at you about it. There's no need on this road for the agonizing way of the cross, for its humiliation or its weakness or its call to non-retaliatory love. The Sermon on the Mount? I mean, it's really, though we don't like to say it out loud, it's really optional on this road. (laughs) You can just ignore it. So the broad highway has some wonderful Christian lanes on it. The other road is small and narrow, Jesus says. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
So the way of Christ, right? This road has clearly defined boundaries. It's sharply marked out, and you need to kind of look for it because it can be easily missed. One commentator says the Beatitudes are the side posts for this gate. Like, if you want to find this road, the Beatitudes will, will get you on it. They're the side posts for the gate. And the Beatitudes restrict, right? They restrict the pilgrim's way of entrance and your subsequent way of travel on the road. This is a narrow on-ramp leading to a hard road. I don't think we hear this enough about the Christian faith. We find it hard privately, but in public there's often this perception that it's relatively manageable. This road cramps your style. Right? It's precarious. It's easy to fall off. If one is rich, getting on this road is like going like a, a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And when Jesus says this road is hard, he uses the word for tribulation. So the Christian path is the path of most resistance. It's a hard road. The path of tribulation and opposition and slander, and persecution. For through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? So on the road that we are on, divine truth forms or limits what we believe. And divine goodness limits how we behave and we don't like limits. So on this road, every loyalty... Right? Every love must be relativized. And if necessary, parted with. Friends, family, lands, possessions, even our own lives, right? Must all be laid on the altar just to get on this road. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Right? He can go to church, of course, that's fine. But he cannot be Jesus' disciple says the one who is this gate, right? who is this door, and who is this way. Here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer on this road. He says, to be called to do the extraordinary, but not to see and know that one is doing it, that is a narrow road. To give witness to and to confess the truth of Jesus, but to love the enemy of this truth, who is his enemy and our enemy, with the unconditional love of Christ, that is the narrow road. Right? To believe in Jesus' promise that those who follow shall possess the earth, but to encounter the enemy unarmed and to prefer suffering injustice to doing ill, that is the narrow road. Still Bonhoeffer, to perceive other people as being weak and wrong, but never to judge them, that is a narrow road. It is, Bonhoeffer says, an unbearable road. The danger of falling off threatens every minute. Now, here's a caveat. None of this is to deny deny Jesus' statement that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. The cost in view is real, but it's one we should gladly bear. Right? We're here like the man 
who finds the pearl of great price and then says, sure, I'll go sell everything I have for that pearl. To say the road is narrow is to say it's full of obstacles, that it costs everything to enter it, to choose it, and to remain on it, and that we are willing to pay any toil to get on and stay on this road. Gladly, we'll pay it. We might say Jesus' yoke is easy, but the road you have to walk under that yoke is hard. So there are but two roads. There are but two ways. And human beings, with all of their, you know, all of our complexity and all of our ambiguities, human beings are on one road or the other. Jesus does not think anybody's got a foot in both roads. One road or the other, there are no other options. So that's the roads. The second thing here is the destinations. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. So this easy and carefree and roomy road ends in horror. It ends in horror. Now, now our God is properly, right? God is basically, intrinsically creator, not destroyer. So this road is the road of the one who comes to kill and to destroy. And its end is not liberation, but it's the full and final destruction of all that is beautiful and good and true. The end of love and joy and hope. The promises of this broad road are delusions. It's a suicide road, Jesus says. It's the road to hell. A topic about which Jesus speaks more than any other figure. Right? So, so much here for the idea that all roads lead to God. Somebody forgot to tell Jesus that. The other, the other road, small and narrow, leads to life. It leads to eternal fullness of fellowship with the God who is life. Right? Jesus, when he says, I am the gate, he says, enter by me and you'll be saved. You'll flourish. So as there are but two ways, so there are two destinations. We saw that in the psalm we just sung, Psalm 1. Right? The way of the righteous leads to flourishing. The way of the wicked leads to being driven like chaff before the wind. Now, it is not Jesus' immediate concern here. But it's important to see that this narrow, hard way does not, paradoxically, it does not create narrow, hard people, right? Or provincial people, you know, people whose outlook is cramped, people who have a stunted embrace of life. The way that is hard leads to life, abundant and full. But you can see this quite clearly throughout Psalm 119, where the psalmist says that the Torah, by the Torah, God has broadened his understanding. He says this, I walk about in freedom, for I seek your precepts. I see a limit to all perfection, for your commandment is exceedingly broad. So the narrow way of the Torah, right, paradoxically, mysteriously, brings us into the spiritually spacious realm. The Holy Scriptures. Right, the exclusive book. The book of pilgrims on the narrow way enlarges your spirit, your soul, and your mind. 
It makes you richer, wider, deeper, more comprehensive, able to scan vast tracts of human experience. There's a glorious broadness that comes on this narrow way. In 1 Kings chapter 4, when speaking about the gift of Solomon's wisdom, we are told there that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like broadness of mind, like the sand of the seashore. So, right, narrowness of soul or littleness of mind or one-dimensional childish thinking, this is not a thing which should be produced in the narrow way of God. Right? On the contrary, this is the way or the path in which God will give to you panoramic vistas. Right? Broadness, largeness, catholicity, universality, if you will, of heart and mind. So by this narrow ray, by the hard road, we come into this spacious, open place of freedom, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we have a constriction here, a narrow, hard way, but it is the way of the fullness, the spaciousness of the life of God. So that's the destinies. The third and final point here is the the two peoples, the travelers on these two roads. On the wide and broad road which leads to destruction, there are many, many enter through it, Jesus says. As I said, this is the default road. And by and large, people confirm it by their personal choices. It's a very busy highway. It's thronged with multitudes of people. Tragically, this road is jammed with people. Many are those who enter it. Of the small gate, the narrow road that leads to life, Jesus says starkly, only a few find it. Incredibly bracing words, right? Only a few find it. It is, we said, hard to find, and in contrast to the many on the other road, there's just a handful on it. It's comparatively deserted compared to the broad road. Few find the way to life. So there it is, in black and white. Many are lost, few are saved. Now, Jesus says the same thing elsewhere. He says, many are called, few are chosen. Meaning, many are called by the outward preaching of the word, but few are the elect who respond to that word. He makes the same point in the parable of the sower, right, where the vast majority of seed... Right? Falls on the ground and doesn't lead to life. On this road is Jesus' little flock, his despised minority, to which the Father has given the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Even many who appear to be on the narrow road, right? Baptized Christians, professing Christians, are in fact. Not on it. You could look at 1 Peter 4 for that. It is judgment begins with the house of God, and the righteous will scarcely be saved through that fiery judgment. Right, we'll see this, Lord willing, the next time we look at the, Beatit- the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But on the last day, Jesus is going to say to professing believers, many, 
Jesus says. Notice that. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons, right? To which Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say, look, an odd person here or there. You know, there'll be an occasional person that you thought was a Christian, but they're not. He says, no, there'll be many like that. If the, so here's, here's the point in context, right? If the fruit of the Sermon on the Mount is used to determine genuine Christians, then large chunks of Christendom must be judged as fraudulent. That's Jesus' point. That's why he puts this right here in the sermon. So this teaching then, which cannot be glossed over, raises all sorts of questions. I know the questions that come to our mind here, right, about how many will be saved then. After all, there are texts which speak of the vast expansion of the kingdom. Right? Right? The book of Revelation speaks of a great redeemed multitude from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. Of course, we'd have to reconcile the two sets of texts. You could have a few that are saved over a long period of time and end up with a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and language and nation. I think we're just better off here saying there are two strands of teaching which stand in some tension. There are texts like this one and others that I alluded to. And then there are texts which speak about the broad conversion of the nations and the progress of the gospel. But what's important here? So what's Jesus doing here with this language? Right? What's the witness of this text? Right? Well, it has to be heard, right? And any interpretation that turns few into the vast majority is a corrupt interpretation. When Jesus is teaching... On his way to Jerusalem, he is asked this, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, the very fact that after three years around Jesus, that's the question they ask him, tells you something. It's the same question our text here raises. And you know what Jesus says there? He basically says what he says here. He says, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, there's the many again, I tell you, will seek and will not be able to enter. So that's not an unequivocal, yes, only a few will be saved. It's not that. But it's very far from an assertion that the many or the vast majority will be saved. And this brings us back to the point, to the challenge of this text. So the text bears down on the question of how many will be saved. Jesus flatly says a few. But let's just bracket that out. Because I actually don't think that's his main point here. You know, that we can argue about the proportion of the saved and the lost. That's not his primary intention. When asked, are there few that will be saved, what Jesus does is this, is he issues a command. A command. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. He does that for the same reason he begins our text with an urgent summons. Enter by the narrow gate. Don't worry necessarily about how many will be there. Get on this road and stay on it. And let me tell you before you do, it's hard to get on it and it's hard to stay on it. So a choice has to be faced, right? 
Jesus allows us no escape. Like, this is a text which is intended to jar you. Imagine if we applied this text to this congregation. And you thought, well, wouldn't that imply that the vast majority of us are not actual Christians in the kingdom of God? Yeah, that's what it would imply. So the text is intentionally trying to disturb you. He's coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, have you just heard what I've said in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, the last 130 verses of this sermon, have you heard them from me? Because I'm going to go over this again. I'm calling you to this narrow, rocky, difficult road. That's what the Christian life is. If many can be lost, And few can be saved. And clearly the text asserts that. If many who think they are saved will be lost, and Jesus asserts that in the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount, then rather than arguing about the proportions, what we are to do is to consider deeply the genuineness of our commitment to him. There's nothing better than this than to go back to the Beatitudes and ask a friend, a trusted friend, to, to, to tell you, am I poor in spirit? Am I merciful? Am I a peacemaker? Do I love my enemies? Right? Consider deeply the genuineness of our commitment to him. There's two roads, there's two destinies, and there's two peoples. And Jesus is bringing home the urgency of the only good choice for you and me. Remember, these are already believers. These are already disciples he's speaking to. He's talking to the church here. And thus he's calling the church to walk the same road that he walked. What was the way Jesus walked? A broad, spacious way? No, it's a narrow way. When, when people throng to him, he turns to them, preaches the gospel, they all leave. That's the way he walked ahead of us. And now he walks beside us on that narrow road with a small gate, which only a few find because it's the way of Jesus, the way of him who is our life. So he has set before us in the Sermon on the Mount, death and life. Choose life. Enter and continue. Enter and continue entering by the narrow gate. Amen.